Well, good morning. They found the chair for the old guy. Isn't that great? Isn't that, oh, it's wonderful to be back here. Love this church. Love your pastor. Love you guys. But if you don't come to that meeting tomorrow night and vote on something, they're going to leave those holes in the carpet. So you need to be here tomorrow. It is so wonderful to be um, among brothers and sisters. And it just feels like home. And to have one of your spiritual mentor giants just before um, Rob, Mary's husband, comes up to me, such a spiritual encourager in my life, said, don't screw it up. <laughs> oh, <clears throat> well, let me uh, just really briefly tell you what we have been up to. If you don't know, uh, Melody and I uh, serve with Hope for the Hurting Home, and we do basically three things. We are in the lives of couples who are in crisis, at risk of divorce, through counseling, through uh, development in churches, helping churches develop a vision and a ministry for healthy marriages to help start them uh, well, to help support them as they're growing, and then to create a safety net when they struggle. And then thirdly, we work with um, a court pilot in Isandy County Family Court. We now have five judges in Minnesota that are interested in what we are doing. I meet tomorrow with another um, area district judge who's expressed interest in helping to reinsert into the legal process an opportunity, even at that late moment after filing, for a couple to say, we are not sure div divorce is our best and our only option. And so if you're... Um, uh, if you're interested, go to rustberg.org and sign up. Uh, just shoot me an email. We'll put you on the mailing list. We won't, um, you know, sell it to anyone. Of course, you know, with your information now compromised by Equifax, um, I just had some of the church leadership say, this is such a God thing because now you are all automatically signed up for auto-giving, and so there won't be any more, <laughs> you know, announcements about, you know, about tithing or anything. It'll, your obedience will be automatic. Isn't God good? Uh, there's some newsletters out at the, uh, out at the desk. Um, we, we'd love to have you uh, follow and pray for us. Uh, it's a spiritual, like all ministry, like all ministry, it is a spiritual battle to step into the conflict uh, of a marriage, um, of uh, people in Haiti who are fighting the darkness there to try to step into the light following God's prompting when they see a display of the love of God through, um, through their own people. It's all a spiritual battle. We need and encourage you to pray. And then I want to just thank the church for supporting us. You help us, I think, through the Community Engagement Fund. You help us every month change the culture of divorce in America one marriage at a time. So thank you. Uh, we're going to start today... I'm going to read one of the hardest commands in the Bible to obey. You ready? I'm pretty comfortable up here, but after we're done, you're not going to be so comfortable. Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything. By prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart 
and your minds in Christ Jesus. Given the natural disasters that we've been through, the ongoing um, tension in the world with nations firing missiles over other nations, you almost want to ask, what planet has Paul been living on to give us this kind of advice? Or maybe Jerusalem has legalized the medicinal use of marijuana. Paul's been smoking something. To have this kind of myopic view, Paul, don't you know that life is full of storms? Paul, don't you know that life is dangerous and turbulent? And so, just so that you and I get a perspective on who gave us those words, Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I've been beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. That doesn't refer to the medicinal use, but literally stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a day and a night in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, danger from bandits, danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled. I've often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst, and I've often gone without food. I have been cold, and I have been naked. And beside everything else, I face the daily pressures of concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not burn inwardly? So you see, the writers of Scripture, when they tell us things like, don't be anxious about anything, it's not only their life experience, but they're quoting Jesus, who certainly knew at a level we don't understand the storms and the trials and the turbulence of being a human being. There's always a temptation to say, you know, this is not a good time after two major hurricanes to preach about peace and safety. The world's a dangerous place. But here's the truth that pumps up against that temptation, and it's this. God is still in control of an out-of-control world. And in worship, uh, we didn't sing this song, but I was listening to it on the way uh, in. At, at some point, our theology has to be the buffer and the barrier against adversity. And at some point, we have to humbly stand and say, sing songs, truth like this before the throne of God. There's someone who stands. I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and intercedes for me. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written, your name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. Paul echoes that in the Romans chapter 8. If God is for you in the turmoil and the tribulation of the world, who can be against you? Here's four things to remember about life storms. One, 
they can be predictable. You know, it's amazing, isn't it, how focused we were on the news as the storm trackers were kind of plotting out. You know, in three days, it'll be a Category 4. In two days, it'll be a Category 5. And then it's going to go down. We, this, this technology we have, and then the people who have two brains, one's lost and the other's out looking for it, who actually drive into, and they hunker down, like, we're going to be okay. Open the spam. We're just going to sit here and track this thing. And I know that's really important. It occurred to me this last week that that's kind of what I do. I'm sort of a marital storm tracker. Along with counselors and people helpers and marriage mentors, we step into the storms, the relational storms of people's lives. And it can be predictable. There are sometimes you're working with a couple and you're going, oh, the light at the end of the tunnel is not the end of the tunnel. It's an oncoming train. I, I know you didn't pay for this, okay? Some of your friends and your family are so ready for you to start paying attention to the signs of oncoming storms. Because your lack of preparation when you see storms coming puts a burden on other people because you refuse to step aside, you refuse to make some kind of preparation, you refuse... And you just keep blindly going on. Storms are predictable. They're predictable because we live in a sinful, broken world. Think of the marriage, think of the marriage storms, okay? What, what kind of, of humor must the Lord have to take two sinful people and wed them together for a lifetime and then give them junior hires to raise? I mean, as the great African-American preacher, W.T. Walker, said, old man trouble has your address, and he's going to follow you home from church today. Storms are predictable. They're often extremely powerful. I think, if I'm heard correctly, that this is the first time the U.S. has been hit by two major hurricanes in the same season. One estimate said one out of every four homes in Florida was destroyed or rendered uninhabitable. Marital storms, family storms rock our world, whether it's divorce, disease. I have a number of couples that I'm working with right now where one spouse has developed either a life-debilitating disease or a terminal disease, and the marriage was not ready for that kind of stress. The marriage was not ready for that kind of storm. And as one spouse shared with me, the other spouse said, I'm already caring for a dying parent. What do you want me to do? But thank God that the life storms are not, most of them aren't permanent. They come to pass. Aren't you glad they didn't come to stay? The storm is not permanent, but the aftermath may be. CNN has a fear and a greed index for Wall Street investors, sort of the metrics for mayhem. Nobody's talking about the metrics of the stock market right now because why? It is up, right? Inexplicably up. I'm not going to tell you to move your stuff anywhere because I have no clue. But boy, when the stock market was down, all of the metrics came out 
in terms of how it was impacting us emotionally back in 2008. You know, there's a lot of people who survived the hurricanes, but they may never get over it. This is sometimes what I have well-meaning partners tell me when they have children and they're about ready to pull the ripcord on their marriage. It's, well, our kids will be fine. Our kids will be okay. They're resilient. This is the mantra of today. Our kids are resilient. Your children may survive divorce, but they may never get over it. Why? Some of you here are adult children of divorce, and you've never gotten over it. And it doesn't mean that single parents aren't doing the best that they can. It doesn't mean that some of you went through the trauma of a broken home, or that some children, 50% of the American children, will witness the breakup of their parents' marriage. Sometimes it's because a spouse chooses to walk away. I understand that. Oh, please know that I get that. I see it. All week, every week. Many of the storms of life actually can be purposeful. Now, let me be really careful. This is when you're in the storm and the aftermath and you're kind of looking at the rubble, either of a natural disaster or a relational disaster, it's not really the time to break out Romans 8.28. All things work together for good to those that love God, to those that are called according to his purpose. Is that true? It absolutely is true. It's scripture. It's just not the time to bring it out. You need the kind of response that I call weep and sweep. You need to just start weeping with people and pick up a broom and help sweep up. There'll come a time when God prompts hearts to be open to the fact that even in this mess, I cannot see his hand. I do not understand his plan. I'm going to have to trust his heart, but it's not immediate. But you need to know that the storms of life can be purposeful. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1, 8 through 11, he said, Brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be unaware that the trials and the tribulation that we've gone through has served to set our heart more solidly on the God who can raise the dead. God hasn't changed our circumstances. He hasn't lessened the pain. He hasn't always allowed us to have freedom from anxiety. But we live in this kind of world. Here's what Max Lucado wrote. The plague of our day, terrorism, begins with the word terror. Fear, it seems, has taken up a hundred-year lease on the building next door we set, and set up shop. Oversized and rude, fear herds us into a prison and slams the door. We fear being sued. We fear finishing last. We fear going broke. We fear the mole on the back. We fear the new kid on the block. We fear the sound of the clock as it ticks us closer to the grave. Aren't you glad you came this morning? We sophisticate investment plans, create elaborate security systems, legislate stronger military, and yet we depend on more mood-altering drugs than any other generation in history. Moreover, ordinary children today, note this, ordinary children today are more fearful than psychiatric patients were in the 1950s. The scripture says that in the last times, men and women's hearts will be failing them for fear. So imagine your life, if you will, totally untouched by angst. What if faith, not fear, could be your default reaction to threats? What if you could hover a fear magnet over your heart and extract every last shaving of dread, insecurity, doubt? What would remain? 
Envision a day, just one day, when you could trust more and fear less. Can you imagine your life without fear? Jesus taught that the life he came to bring was not characterized by fear, anxiety, and worry. So let's go back, or actually start at the text in Matthew chapter 6. I wasn't organized enough to look up where it is in the Bible sitting in front of you. Um, but most of you have got apps. And if you don't have a Bible, use the one of the person sleeping next to you. Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. So this is from the mouth of the Son of God who was the one who hung on the cross that had the final word. So he knows a little bit about suffering and storm and trial. Would you think? That's a good place for an amen if you're waiting for one right there. Verse 25, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink. Or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food? And the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? This is not a pat answer, but a powerful anchor that can hold your life and mine during the storms of life. Here's the first principle. Worry is unprofitable. Who by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Worry and anxiety is like a rocking chair. There's a lot of motion, but no forward progress. One scholar translated it this way. Which of you, however anxiously you vex about yourself, can add so much as a step to the length of your life's journey. Verse 34, Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Yesterday is history, and today is a mystery, but tomorrow, excuse me, tomorrow is a mystery. Today is the tomorrow you worried about yesterday. Worry is unnecessary because it simply does not help. Worry does not change today's concerns, or stop tomorrow's, but it can lead us to act weird and often make things worse. <clears throat> Worrying doesn't help. Picking up your daughter's cell phone and acting like it was an accident doesn't help either. Secondly, worry is unnatural. Look at verses 26 and 28. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they are? I, I don't mean to be sexist, and if I am, please don't send me an email. I won't respond. <laughs> but if I could just, I think men tend to worry about the security of their jobs. Now, it could be that women are much just more secure in the workplace. But I think guys tend to worry about, can I provide? Uh, my wife, Melody, is the bird woman of St. Michael. We actually, she has so many feeders and so many different kinds of birds, we actually had to hire an owl to do air traffic controlling 
And now the owl gives direction to say, Finches, you've been here, wait for the blackbirds. We actually had a dead bird at our front door that Mel wanted me to remove, and I you know, reminded her that I need to be ceremonially clean before preaching, and so I'll pick it up afterward. But it bothered her because she loves birds, but we have never had birds sitting on our railing kind of twitching and talking to each other like, do you think she'll feed it and fill up the feeder today? Do you think she'll put in that really great stuff or is she going to put in that cheap stuff from Fleet Farm? I wonder, I wonder, will Melody show up today? I know the other guys all around, but will Melody show up today? Will we get fed? Birds don't worry about things like that. People do. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor and they do not spin. And ladies, forgive me, I know sometimes guys worry too much about, but I, I think you have an eye for detail and you're the ones that usually say, are you going to wear that? And clothes and, and taking care of your family, that way I think seems to relate for you. Worry is unnatural for everything in creation except for people. Why? Because anxiety is learned. Small children generally don't worry. That's why your kids can be skateboarding out in the street without shoes and a helmet and never give a thought to it until a grandparent pulls up and goes, get out of the street! And then you fill in the blank with the said grandchild. My grandchildren... All the times I've taken them to Culver's in the dollar store have never looked up at me with a heartfelt angst and said, Papa, can you afford this? <laughs> it's usually, can't we get five things at the dollar store? Why? Because worry and anxiety about whether we'll have enough is learned. It robs us of peace stresses us out and notice that there's always a progression in our life we can have a concern about an issue which we should have in fact some of us should be concerned about things we're not there is righteous and appropriate concern about things but that concern tends to morph into worry the what if and the anxiety what if it happens to me and then it morphs into fear which is oh my goodness it could have job said the thing i have feared has come upon me Worry is unhealthy. It's unhealthy physically. Proverbs 17, 22 said, A joyful heart is good medicine, but depression drains one's strength. There's a whole class of illnesses called EII, emotionally induced illnesses. Our language even has this little phrase, doesn't it? Your teenager comes home an hour after curfew, and you, as a dutiful parent, use a phrase that says, after you assuage your anger, I was worried sick about you. I was worried sick about you. Worry is unhealthy emotionally. Proverbs 12, 25 says, An anxious heart weighs a person down, but a kind word cheers them up. It's unhealthy spiritually. In Mark 4, verses 18 and 19, worry is that which chokes off the power of the word in our life. In Luke 10, Jesus says to Martha, 
Martha, you are worried and distracted by so many things. Again, worry can be that anxious buffer to the word of God in our life. Matthew 6, verses 31 to 32. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. So question, why do those who do not have faith run after these things? Isn't it obvious? It's because they have prayed before and received nothing. They have sacrificed before and received nothing. And they do not have a heavenly father. You remember this whole section in verse 9 begins with the Lord's Prayer. This then is how you should pray. Our Father, who art in heaven. Worry is a betrayal of our belief. Children of the King acting like orphans. Anxiety is a denial of God's promises. Your Father knows before you even ask what you need, and He is willing and ready and able to give good gifts. Fretting and fear is often an advertisement for our Christian atheism. When people look around at our lives as we're living with them through the storms of life, what do they see? Do they see people who are naive and sort of whistling through the graveyard? Do they see people who in their anxiousness are making it bigger or in their insecurity are making the issue smaller? Or do they see someone who, as a human being, carries and sees and feels the concern of the world, but ultimately you know you have a heavenly Father. You have an Abba Father who is in control of this out-of-control world. So now write these three things down. Three things that you can do from the advice of Jesus for the anxious storms of life. Verse 33, set God back in first place in your life. Matthew 6, 33, but seek his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Most worry comes into our life when a person or a possession or a position is sitting in the place that God deserves in your life. And as you read farther on the context of these chapters, setting God back, putting his kingdom first is not a halfway commitment. Chapter 7, verse 13, it's a gate you and I walk through. It's a tree that produces the right fruit. It's a house sitting on a firm foundation. Worry is the evidence that we are going the wrong way. We are bearing the wrong fruit. We are building on the wrong foundation. And when Jesus is in first place, you and I will have not everything we greed, but everything we need. Now, sometimes part of that struggle, isn't it, is waiting for God's timing. God is never late, but his timing sure scares me a lot. And sometimes God is waiting for the body of Christ to rise up and to meet that need. I remember Pastor E.B. Hill preaching on how the closed 
to clothe the naked in your city are hanging in your closet. The food to feed the hungry is sitting on your pantry shelf. And God will indeed provide what we need, but sometimes he's waiting for the body of Christ to rise up and say, this is our time. Set God back in first place. Set number two. Start living one day at a time. Matthew 6, 34. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will have enough worry about itself. And you're thinking, but Jesus, that's not good news. I was hoping today was going to be it, and then we'd be done with this. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Enjoy your daily blessing. And your daily blessing may be that you still can breathe. You still can be aware of your surroundings. It may be that you have enough to eat. It may be that you have health and strength. It may be that your family has forgiven you and you get to be in relationship. What is your daily blessing? One of the things that I do with couples, whether they're Christian or not, the, the, the nice thing about being a pastoral counselor, I can tell people to do whatever I want. They just don't have to come back. And the thing I love about non-Christian people, oh my goodness, when they're desperate in their marriage and you tell them to pray, they don't ask any questions. They pray. You, what, what? I have them go home, sit on the edge of the bed at night, hold hands, and do one thing. We call it compliment to God. God, thank you for fill in the blank. I have non-Christian couples do that all day long. I have Christian couples go, well, I've been to love and respect. I think I've done the four love languages. And I'm going, okay, but what I want you to do is go home and hold hands and be thankful because the scripture says a heart of gratitude turns you toward the God who gave you that daily blessing. Amen? Start living one day at a time. In Exodus 16, 4, the Lord said this to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. And in this way, I will test their heart to see if they will follow my commandments. One day at a time. We become bitter, negative, fearful, whining, and not positive, prayerful, powerful kingdom people when we live two or three or five or six weeks at a time. The greatest relief in our life will come when we learn to put God in his place every day, asking for one day's needs at a time for guidance and rest and peace. And then thirdly, surrender one out-of-control concern to the Lord. Place it back into his hands. First of all, it's out of your control. You can't do anything anyway except fondle it and hold it and look at it and worry about it. Wouldn't it be nice to bring it to your Savior and put it in his lap and say, now, now God, I'd give you a little bit of help with this. I've been working on this for a long time, and I know you've got a lot of things to do. You keep the planets from banging into each other, so this concern may not be too important to you. God, I could coach you up a little bit on how to handle it. Far better to simply scoop up that one out-of-control concern and lay it into the hands of your Heavenly Father. Because if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? We will either be overcome by the anxious storms of life 
or we, through the power and the grace of God, will become overcomers. I'm going to ask our prayer teams to come down. You and I weren't made to go through the storms of life alone. Jesus got in the boat of the disciples, didn't he? Also, I'm just going to ask, I know some of you are here, you'd love to say hi. I want to stay here and just be available to pray with people. There's information at the desk, connect with me during the week, an email. I'd love to share the ministry personally with you, but just this morning, I'd like to just be available to those who are going through that storm that need to be encouraged. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. Whether you're waiting, standing, or chasing the storm, be at peace. Because you are deeply loved and held by the Prince of Peace. God bless you.